Today we face the monsters that are at our door and bring the fight to them. Today we are canceling the apocalypse. Gosh, it's been a while. What do we even do? Um, I think we say, hi, welcome to Counseling the Apocalypse. Or this yes. is Counseling the Apocalypse. Do we say that? Or like, we are we are currently Counseling the Apocalypse? Yeah, we are Counseling the Apocalypse. I'm Dom. And I'm Raph. Uh, we're on different sides of the planet now. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we've entrusted the recording of this uh, podcast not to our previous wonderful microphone called The Prince, but to a Discord bot called Craig. Shout out to Craig. Craig, uh, not a prince, perhaps an elected official of some kind. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, okay, so here's the thing. When we parted uh, last year and we said, yeah, we're definitely going to keep up the podcast, <laughs> we did mean it. We, did, we, we absolutely we did mean it. No, we totally meant it. I was I was committed. I was absolutely distraught about the fact that you left. Frankly, I'm still not okay. Uh, I, I, I'm also not okay, but, but and I'm also not okay about the fact that uh, perhaps due to the current climate, international travel may not be accessible in our lifetime. So my plans yeah. to like, hey, come back to London, um, probably not going to happen. Uh, yeah, yeah, and neither mine to Australia. Although you know, let's keep on hoping. Yeah, it's it's. Um, my friend was saying yesterday that if uh, he hears one more person say the word time. Um, he's just gonna, he's just gonna deck him. Um, so. <laughs> I definitely feel that way about the future. People keep talking to me about like, what are your plans? And it's like, fuck you. <laughs> just <laughs> How dare you? How absolutely <laughs> dare you? Shut the hell up. Well, look, here are some of our plans. I received this extremely amusing. So after we, you know, we were like, uh, let's podcast. We've got a lot to podcast about. Um, I then received this email from um, a company, the name of which I'm going to redact because they don't deserve our airtime. Uh, Wait a second, is... a company? The a corporation? Com- a corporation, and uh, the, the email is titled Podcast Sponsorship Opportunities. We Hi, were asking for sponsors. Hi, Cancelling the Apocalypse team. We think your podcast would be a great fit for the advertisers on Company Name Redacted. What's Company Name Redacted? We exist solely. We exist solely to help podcasts like yours monetize. Company Name Redacted is a venture-backed marketplace that connects podcasters of all sizes with relevant brand sponsors to make money through native sponsorships. How amazing is that? It then it goes on for a while. Um, they have been featured in VentureBeat and Forbes. Uh, my soul is exiting my body. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. Um, it's what gone you, directly to venture capital hell. Oh, what do you think wow. would be an appropriate an appropriate sponsor for our podcast? Do you think? Um, surgical masks. Yeah, I was going to say yeah, like like coronavirus and the Bernie Sanders campaign. And also, like, we had the fires in Australia, which uh, people were wearing surgical masks then because the uh, the particulate matter in the air was so bad. That <laughs> yeah. yeah. I went to Australia for two weeks. Um, it was great. I was hanging oh, out. Oh, you were in a different part of Australia to me, but the part that was also still on fire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was hanging out in Canberra for two weeks with my mum. And the air was so toxic every day that the sky was just yellow, continually yellow. I went. We went and saw Little Women, 
which is great, by the way, great film. We went and saw Little Women on uh, New Year's Day, and you couldn't really see to the end of the road. I yeah, look, I I I was working in an office at the time, uh, quite close to uh, Circular Quay, so Sydney Harbour Bridge, Sydney Opera House, and you just you couldn't see those things. You couldn't see those large civic structures. It was terrifying. Oh, what other sponsors do you think the company name Redacted might be able to offer us? I don't know. I don't know. I'm hoping like, um, so I'm currently working uh, in a full-time job because I finished my PhD and then I was like, <laughs> uh, money um, still exists despite our best Huge. efforts. Huge mood, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm now working in a full-time job as a, as a web designer, which is quite funny because it's what I do for fun. Um, and uh, I'm making websites for like cleaning wipe companies. Cleaning wipe mm. companies need websites. So, uh, and they're, they're in a huge boom right now. Probably, they are in a huge boom companies. right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. On the other hand, I'm also making a website for a housing company and they are not in a huge boom because people don't want to pay their rent. Yeah, well, they shouldn't. They shouldn't no, pay well, their absolutely rent right not. now. They should, there should be a, there should be a, Goddamn rent strike. Um, I was. It has been. The... Sorry, no. I was. It, it's just been kind of funny to see like uh, landlords coming out on social media and being like, "Hey, I depend on the rent for my income. Uh, <laughs> I, I have, I have four houses, and that's my total income." It's like, wow, you're really not. You appear Ooh. to have. You appear to have confused labor with theft, which yes, absolutely can happen. Um, I understand that that confusion can be propagated under under late capitalism. Sorry, it's not you were your saying fault, mate. Something. Oh God, yeah. Look, probably. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I I have a lot of feelings. I forgot about what I was saying. Should we, however, talk about some goddamn utopias? Yeah. So while we're while we're discussing, we are sort of catching the 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 situation that our lives have been in. in gosh, fucking nearly four or five months since we like last did a podcast. Yeah. So while we're, we're catching up on that, but we do actually, we, we, we set this up intending to talk specifically about Utopia and isn't it deeply, deeply necessary right now? Of, of all the things that are currently necessary, except for maybe surgical masks, Utopia is, is the one. That's what it's I strongly true. believe. Uh, yeah, and that's the reason why we we do this. We don't just have this podcast to to chat and hang out. If we just wanted to chat and hang out, we wouldn't have Craig recording us. Anyway, so we are going to talk about utopias, and uh, I think that what I see, I had had this idea back in January for what our topic was going to be for the next podcast we did, and it's suddenly even more relevant because what I wanted to talk about was utopia in video games and video games is almost all that most people can do right now as we're self-isolating. Mm -hmm. So this episode of Council the Apocalypse is called Who Wants to Play Video Games? That's a good title. I'm disappointed that you've like already called the shots on that title because I like our... Uh, other version where we listen to the entire podcast painstakingly trying to find one funny line that we can make into our title absolutely still do that feel free uh just know in my soul that in like in the notes app that is my brain uh it's been called who wants to play video games yeah up there in the bemo range that's where i got it from yeah that's nice oh oh we have to call it that then bemo is extremely utopian uh sorry we should get down to business um, yeah tell me about video games dom 
Uh, I don't know if you know about video games, but the idea of a video game... <laughs> I hate you so much. I don't know if you know this, but the idea of a video game is it's essentially an interactive narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, the narrative amount of it is very flexible, uh, how much narrative as opposed to how much, you know, experimentation and dependence in the game widely differs. I'm going to talk about two games that are pretty weird um and i don't know i don't know whether you've played either or both of them i feel like you played at least one of them both of them are fairly famous but like you know not call of duty famous not like famous like your mom knows about them or like Fortnite, where everyone knows about them but they're fairly famous in the games community so if you know anything about video games you know about them uh and the first one was the famous uh five act uh epic i guess uh kentucky route zero have you played kentucky route zero raf i have not played kentucky route zero and uh when you told me the two video games video games that you are going to um uh, talk about uh you 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 sort of i think briefly maybe semi screenshots of both and i was like i'm gonna go for the other one and i'm going to learn about kentucky route zero from dom so yeah look kentucky route zero is really interesting because it's uh, hard to explain, especially. Okay, here's a, here's a good way to explain it. Um, so it's it, it came out in five acts over a course of several years. It was really meant to be a two year project that uh, I think I think it's two games designers and maybe three. It's a very small team. It's one of the reasons why it's it's so interesting that it was this like really small core artistic team that spent a long time working on it and making it exactly the way they wanted it to. Um, it was meant to take them two years, and it ended up taking closer to ten. Uh, wow, that, which, that is that's, that's some Half Life Three nonsense going on there. Absolutely, but you know, in Half Life Three, I have never played it, but I, you're a guy and you hit things with a crowbar. Is that right? That's Half Life Two. Half Life Three still hasn't come out. Half Life Two, okay. uh, you're a guy and you. Yeah, there are crowbars. You know what? I've okay. played. I've played exactly one one hour of Half Life Two, and mostly I remember walking through this like desolate post-Soviet landscape, and you like run across a roof, and all these birds fly off the roof, and I was just like, "Damn, that's beautiful." This is why that I love video nice. games. Yeah, it's it's really good. Sorry, continue. Okay, then you no. Know, if you enjoyed that, then you definitely enjoy Kentucky Route Zero because you're in a desolate, uh, essentially current day landscape. You're in. Kentucky, you are, uh, you know, I say you, but like the main character in the game is Conway. He is a delivery truck driver for an antique store that's going out of business. And this is your last delivery. And it's to an address called Dogwood Drive. And the first scene in the game is that you stop at a petrol station and ask for directions because you can't find it. And the entire five act structure of the game is about you trying to find this address and trying to make this delivery now you the player the main character you get to control not only conway but other characters uh you know he meets uh, a tv repair woman called uh sharon uh no that's not her name anyway like uh, you, you you meet a, a young boy whose brother is a giant eagle you meet uh, a pair of um musicians who may or may not be robots like you meet all these different characters and that sounds kind of wacky and weird it's not at all like it's it's uh, so minimalist and so bare and so simple and 
peaceful, but also horrifying because the game is essentially about debt. Uh, What it means to have debt, uh, what it means to, you know, be in debt to other people and be in debt to companies and corporations. And because it's set in Kentucky uh, on these highways, real and otherwise of Kentucky, it's in this like Appalachian context with these Appalachian folk songs and also like weird experimental electronic music. Wow. So it, it really is about magical, a magical realist exploration of Lake And a couple of people have said like, oh, it's not really properly a video game because you don't have a huge amount of choice about the actions of the characters. Like you can do things in a slightly different order, but the things that you do are basically always the same. And interesting. Like I've played through it a couple of times and there's no way like there is basically, you know, the one ending and I don't want to give it away, but it's, it's very good. When I, it like the fifth act just came out and when it came out, I, I sat down and I played it uh, and I cried for a long time afterwards uh, because of how good it was. But it, it is a game about debt and, and how we, we save what we can from the, the crisis, whatever it is. That sounds really, really interesting. I was thinking, um, I just, I find it interesting that, that uh, our ability to represent the world on screen has got to such an extent that we can now branch out and do interesting things with narrative and um, which are not just limited to, to, <clears throat> to stories on paper and stories yeah, on screen. We've, we've got to the point where in, you know, you know, Grand Theft Auto, you can see the hairs on the driver's arm as you another car, I assume. Yeah, yeah, well, presumably, um, yeah. That's, that sounds so, about right. So you've got to move on to the next point of like, well, what are we doing with this format? And I say move on, like this has been going on the entire time that the formats existed. Oh, yeah. But yeah, we're definitely reaching this this really interesting peak of like, the, the, uh, the question is no longer are video games art, it's what kinds of art are they? Right, right. And I um, also, so I've been watching this TV show called Halt and Catch Fire, which is an American TV show about like early computer designers and video game designers in the like 1980s in, in, mm-hmm. in So Texas. like the, the sort of the forefront of the internet boom. The forefront of the internet boom. And, you know, it's like they're like the kind of they're like not the cool glitzy Silicon Valley types. They're the kind of nerdy like Texas instruments, like we build calculators types. Uh, we mm-hmm, build business mm-hmm. machines. And then uh, one of them uh, played by um, what's her name? Mackenzie. Walk. Mackenzie. No. Not Mackenzie Walk. Mackenzie Dave. <laughs> anyway, I don't um, she's a she's like a a kind of like 80s punk student and she creates like a really early multiplayer text-based video game uh, mm. program, you know, where you can like all log on to your like 360 board modem and play like multiplayer chess or whatever. And a lot of the TV shows about how some people want it to be video games and have like increased in good graphics for people to play online and some people just want to like focus on the forum like community chat aspect of that because they're like mm-hmm. yeah yeah we were like we were like playing around with what you can do with email and it turns out you could just like send email over the same like video game protocol we've, we've been building uh and then other people are like this seems dumb and then people just end up just hanging around not playing any games on it talking to each other um, and they're really surprised. Mm. And I so, like how surprised they are 
And I like how astonished they are about the fact that people crave community in various formats. And I'm interested because you were talking that people like talk about Kentucky Route Zero. And I love how with yes. many of these games that are not like, because like the beauty of Call of Duty is that it's simple, right? Like you go into the server, you load up, you shoot some people, you have a fun time shooting people if that's what you enjoy doing, and then you leave. But then with the, these other games, you have to like invest yourself in them. And then after that, I think you feel like you have to share that investment with someone. Like you have to talk about it. Absolutely. I recommend Kentucky Route Zero to everyone, uh, like people who don't like video games. I was listening to my partner, my Simon just finished the last act of Kentucky Route Zero, and he called his mother and was describing it to his mother, who was, you know, a mid-60s uh, small town primary, like, like kindergarten teacher, and was like, I know you don't like or care about video games, but I thought you might like this one. Wow. That's what something like Kentucky Route Zero does. It builds this desire to discuss it because it is so interesting and so experimental. And that thing that you said about the, the split between, you know, um, the, the video game as something that is like good graphics, fun time, and the thing that helps you communicate with other people. I think that's really interesting because part of like what made Kentucky Route Zero interesting is that because it came out over such a long time, mm. there was this space in between the five acts that were released for people to discuss it and to hype each other up about right. it and to like have theories about what the next thing was going to look like. And one of my favorite things about the game is that the, those theories were almost entirely all the theories I read wrong. Like <laughs> no one, no one predicted how the game would end. But you know, like I was saying earlier, one of the benefits of Zero was how you know, uh, pure it was, what a small, like, team and, and how much they spent trying to get it, how much time they spent trying to get it right. You know, there was no rush. There was no, you know, the big the big issue in the games, video games community right now is um, the crunch, the, what do they call it, the, the, you know, when everybody is forced to work extremely hard to get something out really quickly. Oh, yeah, I can't remember what it's called, but yeah. Like, I mean, well, yeah, it's like it's it's capitalism. It's an industrial it's issue. Capitalism. It's cap. Yeah, it's an industrial issue in an industry that I don't really understand a lot about. Yeah. Um, unionized, but th this was a way that to to sort of escape that. And like part of the the thing is that the game, you know, it took so much longer than predicted because they were just like, no, it's bad for our health to work on it this quickly. Oh wow, I I really appreciate that. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at images of it, and I'm going to make sure to share some photos, uh, images of it um, when we upload. And it's, it's beautiful. beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's absolutely gorgeous. I was just thinking about like how clearly, I mean, you and I are on other sides of the world. Um, I have uh, not physically seen any of my friends for, for, for some time now. And uh, I feel like clearly, I feel like even maybe without our meaning to the the theme of this utopia episode is about utopia as community there's a book by a group of utopian academics in like in the early 2000s called mm -hmm. the beloved community which is a, i guess a kind of a, a bunch of essays by each of these uh reasonably well-known utopian academics within their field on what the utopian academic community means to them and i really like that. I really like that that is, and you know, and the, like they bring in all of these uh, 
theories about utopia and develop new theories and stuff, but it's all focused back on them and it's a kind of self-reflection on how their own research community functions as a community and as a utopian community specifically. And I, I think that is a kind of lens that we would do well to uh, turn on on all other communities. Like what is the way in which this can mm, be more mm, utopian? Mm. Yeah, what are the what are the are the qualities that you're attempting to, you know, embody when you say that you are utopian? Yeah, that's such a good that's such a good question. That's such a good questions. Nothing I've said about Kentucky Route Zero sounds particularly utopian yet. Um, and what I I think makes it so important to 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 play uh, and to discuss is that. The whole thing is about community building and it's about people experimenting with new ways to live, um, about finding space on the edge of disaster and making a, a home there mm. and, and making a shared space for being kind even when you have very little to be kind with. There's a scene uh, somewhere in the third or fourth act where um, a character is at a bar where there's a musician playing and the your job in that scene is to uh, collect money for the musician and it's by donation and you walk around and ask people at the bar for money and they give different amounts and the people who you can trust to give money are the other poor people who don't have a lot of money at all. And she says, that's how it goes, the unsteady steadying the unsteady. And that idea of, of, oh, of, wow. of kindness and, and, and mutual care being, you know, this redeeming feature in a, a quite frightening landscape is so important uh, now and forever. I really, I think this is, I mean, to me personally, this is in fact the most important uh, kind of utopian text um, at the moment. Um, I'm saying that because that was basically what my PhD was about. It was about like um, uh, finding finding new avenues for utopia while acknowledging the disaster that is going on, not like trying to escape um, the world wholesale, but to create a, a other kinds of living within within that world. I think that scene is extraordinary. I also I love I love it when games um, focus on this kind of minutiae and um, hone it into narrative progression. I mean, in the way that like I mean, short stories do this, and I I really treasure that because um, like you know like I mean at the same time like I'm not I'm not dissing Fortnite or anything like like these things are fun, but there are there are I, I think it's it's wonderful to acknowledge that there are different sorts of texts that make people happy and mm. um the other thing also is that i i was just looking at a um article by out of the woods collective um on commune mag called the uses of disaster which is a wonderful um article and i just found one thing um where they say they talk about disaster utopias um and I think I've mentioned disaster utopias on the podcast before. And they're saying uh, disaster community is not simply a response to extraordinary disasters, but uh, the coming to the fore of everyday struggles for survival and subterranean practice of mutual aid 
and organizing against the ordinary disasters of capitalism leaves residents well equipped to deal with it, with an extraordinary disaster and then later they say that like this this kind of life this kind of like surviving the simultaneous disasters of capitalism as as a continual force and also remarkable like out of the way disasters like i don't know a bushfire a pandemic mm-hmm. um they say that uh they you know these like mutual aid groups create new forms of solidarity and collective life that life isn't just mundane groups organize parties dancing lessons and collective cooking sessions so the communal horizons might open beyond despair and i love that i i think that is extremely important because i think when people think of mutual aid or like survival they always think of survival horror i suppose um mm. and it sounds like what Kentucky Route Zero is playing with and we haven't really talked about that but it sounds like what Kentucky Route Zero is playing with is that there's other kinds of survival which might be bleak but might also have like moments of possibility joy yeah joy exactly yeah and and joy as opposed to pleasure yes. if that makes sense yeah pleasure is uh it, it self self-interested maybe uh and joy is something that's a bit more uh, uh c- c- can be more communal so there's a recurring uh, motif in uh Kentucky Route Zero of music and of singing and you get closer and closer to the source of the music in the game not huh. something that you notice until you finish playing it but it, the I don't really want to give anything away but you know you what starts as something quite haunting and becomes uh comforting um mm. Mm. and and that idea of being together in this moment rather than alone you know a lot of a lot of the video games focus on someone you know alone uh, one man against the world blah 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 when you know no one survives anything alone no one can do anything alone yeah that is that is basically the i think the the first thing to accept about community and all of these people we were mentioning to each other before that like people you know like prepping for the pandemic by like stocking up and being by themselves it's like honey no <laughs> it's mm. it's not going to work out for you the other game you mentioned is called uh, disco elysium and mm-hmm. uh, the segue there is obviously that uh, it is also a game about music sort of yeah dancing kind of Yeah, do you want to explain Disco Elysium uh just generally and then I want to uh, say an interesting thing about the very like first 10 minutes of Disco Elysium that made me love it when I started playing. Absolutely. It. So Disco Elysium is a new game again made by team. It's a new games company called uh, Zaum. I, I don't know if it's meant to be pronounced that way or a different way, but it's Z A slash U M. They're an Estonian games company, and one of the writers of this game was actually a novelist. So that really speaks to how wordy the game is. You were talking about text-based adventures earlier, and the game is visual. It's a very painterly, beautiful, really interesting, impressionistic style. But also, yes, there's huge amounts of text to read. Yeah. Um. And and voice acting, including from a couple of the Chapo Claptrap guys who you know uh, i find most of those guys really difficult to listen to because their voices are bad they're so bad <laughs> but you know i i uh, you know i've felix biederman and and uh, those guys i i agree with some of the stuff that they say and do i just hate to listen to them anyway so they voice some of the characters <laughs> of the game and they voice some really unbearable characters they do voice such annoying characters it's fantastic 
But the game, in the game, you are uh, a detective uh, with amnesia and you wake up in this weird suburb of a, a city uh, with a murder to solve. Like, and that's, that sounds very traditional, but the game is deeply, deeply untraditional. It's very experimental. It's, it's a, it's, it's a, it, it feels a lot like, you know, a, a desktop role-playing game, including dice rolls, mm. because you roll dice in-game to uh, check things and to, to figure out if you can solve things and know things. And like Kentucky Route Zero, it does only really have the one ending. Mm. But the way you get there it's it's going to be different for every every player so there's way more sort of choice and options in how you play it than in Kentucky Zero um you know you you you, you know in Kentucky Zero there's one way to to get you know through the swamp and that's on a boat whereas in in Disco Elysium there's three ways to get into the the union union mob boss's room you could break in or you could punch a guy or you could agree with the guy who is a racist like you have all these different ways of doing this guy oh no Uh, (laughs) Elysium uh, is very funny and very good and there is an option in the game to be a racist so there are a couple of things I really love about Discalisium. One of them I think is very genuinely fascinating. The other one is that um, you essentially have this like a thought cabinet um, <laughs> that you can load thoughts into, uh, which which kind of makes sense because you know you wake up with amnesia and you don't remember anything at all, and so you're you're basically a baby. You can start with a clean slate, and so I immediately loaded fitness and communism into mine. I was like, absolutely, this is what I'm going to focus on. You wanted to be a really fit communist. I wanted builder. to be a really yeah. fit communist. Um, so, but the other really fascinating thing I love about the game is that it it does nurture this idea of in-game community. So you know, so you wake up um, in your in like a trashed hotel room, clearly extremely hungover, like drugs, alcohol. You've had a wild night. You remember nothing. Um, and your first, your first <clears throat> challenge is to like get dressed. It it is a challenge. Like oh, you've, it's you've such lost a challenge. one of your shoes. You lost one of your shoes. Um, you your your tie is like attached to the fan, and you can very easily kill yourself by trying to get the tie off the fan. Yeah, that was how I died. <laughs> Um, yeah, but um, immediately as soon as you do manage to leave the room with at least one of your shoes, you start talking to people. And what I love about the game is that the in the manner of a true good role-playing game with a, with a... Now, I mean, there are many kinds of role-playing game, and there are games that are like the GM must be impartial, you know, like the, the game runner must be impartial, they must be the director of the game, they must not side with the players, um, neither, nor side with their enemies. Uh, and then there are some games which are like, that's bogus, we're all here to work together. Both are good kinds of game, I think, for different reasons. Um, but Disco Elysium, in the, in the sense of a traditional kind of RPG, uh, is impartial. And if you fail die rolls, you fail die rolls, and then you can't like try doing that thing again until you improve. Um, but that impartiality of the game, and this is what I love, is balanced against the fact that people in the world care for you and will try and help you even though you're an idiot who has become mm. extremely drunk and forgotten everything they know. And like, I lo- you know, they, like they will, they will care for you or they'll just like find you quite amusing. Um, and like, they'll direct you. They'll, they'll support you. To, they'll give you a pen. 
you know, there's all these different. Yeah, they'll they'll let you use their car radio. Um, I'm extremely invested in. Um, is it Lieutenant Kusanagi? Is that his name? Uh, Kitsuragi. Kitsuragi. Apologies. Uh, he's fantastic. Um, he's the best. And uh, my my big my big major complaint in the game is that there's no option to date him. I know. That's uh, all I want. That is all I want. I want him to be my it's boyfriend. All, it's all any of us want. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. But I love yeah, I so love what, the fact that this kind of like um, impartiality of the game world in the in the way that the the real world is also in a way impartial against you is balanced out mm. by the care of the game's story. Mm, yeah. mm. It's one of my favorite things about this is you have um, you know the you, you have a a ward uh, in game to get Kim to trust you. That is the most achieved award in the, the Steam rankings. Like people want Kim, Lieutenant Kitsuragi, to trust them because he is the not the first person, but he is one of the only people to to like just be there for you consistently. At all times consistently. He'll follow you around. He will for some reason take point from you, even though you very obviously remember nothing. And I, I love that. <laughs> And no matter how badly you do at karaoke, he says something nice. <laughs> he does. He does. Um, also, there are moments in the game where um, I just was howling with laughter, um, mm. which is such a nice feeling. And it's so mm. good to laugh with a story. And I love mm. that. And I think one of the complaints that I hear about, I guess, visual novels or walking simulators is that when the world around you has been pretty much scripted for you to just move through, Mm. the jokes might not work that are in there or it might just take quite a somber um serious approach because it's that's you know, a bit easier to handle than comedy bit, right exactly it's a bit easier to handle than comedy and there are what i think this game does that's different is that the humor is very much not meta humor it's humor within the world it's consistent to the world mm. and it's like generous and funny and and dry and it doesn't it's not afraid of like getting you into the mindset where you laugh at its jokes. It's very good at that. Uh, there's a running joke in the game about you meet different racists and <laughs> so many you're, racists. You and different kinds of racists. You meet a racial uh you, you meet a racial supremacist, a sort of uh shitty crypto fascist, you meet a so and like you, you have this joke of uh the third one will be our lucky racist and you're like I'm laughing at racist. Great. So, again, like nothing we've said about this apart from care and music is mm. utopian. What I found really interesting about it is that the world of the game is not ours. It's a creative world, heavily influenced, obviously, Estonian creators in that there's this uh, ha hangover of communism and everybody has quite a complicated relationship with history because they were all on different sides of, you know, this great revolutionary war and everyone has really either very strong opinions or absolutely no opinion in a kind of nihilistic yeah. sense. And it, it, it feels very Eastern European um, because it is, it is, it is deeply Eastern European. But at the end of the game, you have this, you know, quite bitter, angry scene that with this this simple turn that's been, well, not even simple, it's, qu it's quite an interesting sort of twist mm. that's been, you know, built up too slightly and developed slightly. It suddenly becomes very beautiful. And if you play it, 
the way that you would like to, you know, you, you could probably be like, oh, I hate this nice ending, but you you have the choice to be really kind and beautiful and soft and gentle in that moment and share something. Yeah. To have this this uh, positivity in this negative environment, and you know, you have this option of of hoping for a better world despite everything. <sighs> I love that. Yeah. I um I spent a lot of time at the beginning of the game just staring over the the water at like mm. the other things over there in the distance. Mm. I think it's um mm. I really like what it does with history. Um history is not actually something we've talked about uh much in our podcast at all. Uh mostly because I uh, don't have a very good handle on historical like theory, and so I kind of ignore it, which is bad. Um, but um, I think it's something we we should think about uh, maybe in future podcasts as well. The idea of like like what are the utopias of the past, and what we, what can we learn from them? What are then what are the utopia? What were the what are the structures of the past that people thought were utopian? What did they mean when they who were they utopias for? Uh, you know, for whom and I think I think those are interesting questions to ask of the past. Absolutely. You know, mm. especially because we often concentrate on the past as a succession of crises uh, and a succession of um, uh, vast traumas. You know, I was just uh, listening to uh, my friend's Instagram story this morning, where she was looking through her year, uh, year nine diary, and uh, she was oh boy, yeah, uh, it was great, and she was reading the. Um, the 9-11 entry in her year nine diary. And it was extremely, it was extremely year nine, you know, it was like um, Twin Towers, et cetera, et cetera. And then just this extremely long rant about how one of her friends still fancies her boyfriend and how they were kissing. And then a teacher told them to like, let go and how she's just really mad about everything. Um, and I find it fascinating that, you know, it's, it's that kind of like collapse of history into like the small things, but all the way through the diary entry, her nine-year-old self keeps being like, I will never forget this day. I will never forget like GW Bush's face. Wow. Um, I will never forget, um, you know, like we are truly living through history. And I love this idea that like, History can be something that people can only get a, a real sense of when it's a terrible crisis or a, mm. or a terrible disaster. Like, and in the same way, it's mm. like I was laughing at the, at the beginning of this podcast, um, that if I hear like, you know, one more person describe this as a kind of times, you know, trying times, testing times, worrying times. Um, but that's what it is. It's like people, people only really seem to want to... Um, label things as as history or as significant mm. temporally significant when it is when a crisis bad. is unfolding when it's bad yeah um and i think we should focus on the ways in which history is good and can be good and the past can be good mm. and that's that's something that disco elysium does really well by saying hey you can learn from what has gone and you can take good things from it. You know, you can build communism again. I haven't taken the fascist route in the game, but I assume it is, you know, oh, you'll be able to build a cool empire or whatever. I couldn't do it. I suspect that it dovetails. It is so hard. I presume that the fascist route is mapped out. Um, 
and I presume the ending is in some way different, but I I can't bring myself to do it because I care about this character too much to let him do this. You know? mm, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like the last time I had anything close, you know, the the whole under, Undertale, but in fact, Undertale did it in a really metagamey way. Definitely mm. wasn't remotely, wasn't really political in, in, in as much as, you know, oh, everything's political, but Undertale, you know, was very, very abstract, whereas... Disco Elysium is deeply specific to the point where the game's designers, I think, cited uh, Marx and mm. like Marx in there, like, thank you for this award. We would like to honor Marx. Like, you know, yeah. it's, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Undertale, Undertale, you have a, a, you know, a character pop up and be like, oh, do you really want to do that? Do you really want to kill this fictional character in this video game? Yeah. And it's like, okay, chill out. Whereas, Disco Elysium, yeah, Disco Elysium really builds that into the game. And I, I, Kentucky Route Zero does the same thing. I I care about those characters and I care about what happens to them. Mm. I think that mm. is, um, I think those are the kind of games, again, not like, not not harping on about Fortnite's, you know, the, the, your, your, your Fortnite's and your, and your whatever's. Uh, that I um, your, your gears of war, your gears of war, which I mostly can't play, frankly, because I don't have um, a console uh, nor a laptop powerful enough to run them. Uh, I think this is one of the marvelous things about. Um, in fact, I think I think it's a symbiotic relationship where all of the indie games almost always require <laughs> a weaker processor, uh, mm. which is as it should be, because then because then the nerds get something too, and um, but also the people who aren't like games, uh, you know. Um, they can also they can they can also engage in in something meaningful, um, and I think that those games, the games where we can tell stories about care um, and about hope, are the are the really important ones to play uh, while we're self isolating. That's that's my take. Yeah, I just feel like if you you know if you play a game that's about you running around shooting and then you go out into the world and get toilet paper without an argument there's the intersection of uh you know it is possible to have a, a high-end triple triple a video game oh, that makes course. you care about characters yeah, yeah, yeah. i was actually thinking about hideo kojima's uh new thing oh, that everybody yeah. got really excited about the the impenetrable death stranding that, that everyone got, gets really excited about says dom who uh has briefly perhaps forgotten that she showed me the trailer for death stranding on not one but two separate occasions <laughs> And it was so confusing. <laughs> so weird. Have we not talked about Death Stranding on the podcast already? If we have, it doesn't matter. We should do it again. Well, because because when it came out, it was unlike what anyone could have guessed because it was totally different to all of Kojima's games because Kojima is, you know, again, this is another... All of the games we've talked about have been, you know, made rather than a large company pretty much... Not independently, like he had a whole game studio behind him, but sort of this auto-driven thing of like he made all the decisions. And yes, it has bizarre names, and yes, it also has problems with sexism. And yes, I haven't played it. I've never played a Kojima game, and I never will. I just like talking about them yes, and learning about them. That's important. That's but fine. It's a walking simulator with all of the tropes and all of the the, the depth of a AAA video game. Yeah, it's a, a game where again you don't shoot anyone you you're you're a courier and you transport things and here in this post-apocalyptic 
you know, landscape of the game when people are totally isolated uh, and and your your job as the person who delivers things is, is the most important job in the world. Gosh, that was good job, Kojima. Nice one there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah, I think I think. It's yeah, uh, so it, it's interesting that you have this this intersection of the the independent, you know, stripped back minimalist game of uh, you know, or the ones we've been talking about that make you um, emotionally mm. invested in this uh, bizarre, you know, world, and this, you know, you can watch your character piss in Death Stranding. You know, here's this big AAA game, and people people were really interested in it but a lot of there was a lot of criticism leveled at it but it is uh, utopian it is you know oh we're gonna we're gonna connect people across landscapes it's not a war game yeah it's you know here's what happens after the war we rebuild i think that's a really good way of thinking about the utopian narrative in general is like the understanding that a crisis a crisis has occurred uh and we're not that interested in the crisis like cool mm -hmm. it, it was there you know and sometimes the crisis is is debt or death uh and sometimes the crisis is uh amnesia really and um whether that's historical amnesia or or personal amnesia which is i i think clearly a thing that disco Elysium is playing with um and absolutely yeah. you know or racism or the failure of the revolution or the success of the revolution uh for whatever kind of person you are and and it's interesting now what happens now um mm. and i think i think that's that's definitely the utopian thing about about these games yeah